Welcome to the Kumbaya Podcast, the whole woman's resource, where we uncover the amazing resources available to help you on your holistic health journey and hopefully help you prevent issues before they arise. Hello, I'm so excited for you to join me for this episode of the Kumbaya Podcast. In this episode, I have a conversation with a friend of mine who recently in the past year had abdominoplasty. And I asked her to come on because within physical therapy, there is an understood or I think a very common goal to get people to avoid having surgery. <laughs> and um, not that it's bad, but it is usually a very typical goal that physical therapists are helping people work towards is to avoid having any kind of surgical intervention when it's possible. So I wanted you guys to hear from Michelle and to, um, just learn from her wisdom after having had this surgery because she did so much work to prepare and so much work to research and make sure the timing was right for her and her family. And she just gives some really, really great tips and insight um, into the surgery that I really thought was beneficial and would be powerful to share for anyone else who may be in a similar situation. You've had a baby or two or three and your functioning is not where you want it to be. So I won't steal the show. I'll let you listen to this conversation and I know you will enjoy her as much as I do. She's a wonderful person and she shares just such great wisdom with us. I'm so grateful for her. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Kumbaya podcast. I am so excited for the interview that we are going to share with you today. Um, I would like to introduce you to Michelle Barnes, who I have the pleasure and the privilege of calling a friend. Um, but I'd like to jump right in. Michelle, why don't you tell us about yourself? Well, I am a former career woman turned homeschooling mom who's always been very active, very um, interested in natural methods of healing. And um, I consider myself to be highly curious and a lifelong learner. So that's a brief overview. Mm -hmm. And how many children do you have? I have three rambunctious children. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and um, please forgive us, guys. I am so appreciative of Michelle's time. And we'll let you know at the time of this recording, it is, yeah, almost nine o'clock. Uh, this is like, you know, after babies and kids are in bed. And so if we seem a little tired. You know, this is um, this is our life. We've both been working all day. <laughs> kids are work, right? Um, OK, well, I would love for you to share your physical journey through having these, you know, your gorgeous children and what you experienced in your body, you know, during this transformative time? So um, I've always been a super lean, super active person. So it's interesting to have spent your entire life that way. And then you go through this experience that you've been wanting, you know, for years. And we had a little trouble getting pregnant two out of the three times. So, um, you finally get pregnant and it's like this answer to prayers and then your body starts to change and you kind of prepare for that, but you don't really know what it's going to be like to feel that in your body. Mm -hmm. And then you go through whatever your own birthing story is and you experience the transformation of your body as you bring the child into the world. And then your body is completely different. And I remember telling my mom after I had my first child, who was a C-section, that um, I felt like I was wearing a skin suit. Mm. Um, my body did not feel good. It did not feel like my own. I just felt like I was hidden somewhere inside and I, I couldn't find my way to myself. And it really didn't feel good to me. Um, and my babies were very large. I had a C-section with my first child. And then I had, um, and he was almost 10 pounds. And then I had, um, my second child was a VBAC or vaginal birth after C-section. And he was a precipitous birth with fetal ejection. Um, so he was, he was ready. <laughs> yeah. Ready world. <laughs> 
he was here one yeah. day he wasn't here and then he was here um he was also a large baby he was nine over about nine and a half pounds and then um we'll get to this later but healed up my diastasis through pt and some other things and um then got pregnant with my third and was in pain the whole time and it just reopened everything. So um, my body just changed so many times throughout that process. And it was just a real journey of like, who, who am I in this moment? How do I feel in this moment? You know, right. do I have pain right now or do I not? You know, how do I, do I feel strong enough to work out? Do I feel strong enough to hold my kids above my head? You know, it was just, it was as much emotional as it was physical, I guess. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think we don't talk about that enough. We think about, you know, preparing for childbirth and you think about having the baby and taking them on trips and breast. I mean, there's just so many things I think people look forward to, to having their child. And then it's kind of just like glazed over, like, let's get our body back and let's, you know, we, we don't talk about just, yeah. Like how transformative transformative it is I think for um our our mental and like our relational in relationships and but then physically too I mean it just it, it it's huge so and I was working as a professional all through Isaac's well my son's pregnancy my first son and then my middle child's pregnancy and up until he was uh almost a year old and so there was a kind of a culture, like you've seen all of these other women in the same culture and they have just whipped it right back and there's no complaining and there's no talking about how tired you are. And there's no, you know, like even to some extent, breastfeeding was kind of an anomaly, you know, yeah. and it was like, people didn't want to make accommodations for that. Like it was, it was a little strange how something that seems so natural and so basic and so fundamental was viewed as almost like blase, you know, wow. Oh, you need time to go pump. You know, like I had yeah. meetings. I was a, a woman in a man's world in my work and had lots of meetings where it was like, I was literally like pumping under a cover in these meetings with men. And, you know, it was like, it just had to be done. And so I did it and I wasn't going to stop breastfeeding because that was uncomfortable for right. them. I mean, right. who cares? <laughs> but still, what are we talking about accommodations like that, you know, there wasn't any kind of accommodations made in that situation where you could have had, you know, time in between meetings or like, you know, when you have meetings back to back and then you're like, well, this has to happen. So I'm going to have to do it here. You know, I mean, that's just ridiculous. And well, I mean, there were certainly times when, there were many times when my schedule was my own creation. And so uh -huh. I was able to plan accordingly and, you know, but, you know, certain things come up, things that are urgent, things that have to be dealt with immediately, those things, you know, you can't predict. And then there was um, a business trip that I was on and, um, you know, that was particularly challenging because I was traveling with one woman and several men. And we had places to be, we were scheduled and it was like, I had my own pumping schedule. And so I just had to kind of keep up oh. and it was what it was, but you know, for me, it was like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sacrifice breastfeeding for the comfort of not having to feel like, wow, this is weird yeah. or not making someone else uncomfortable. It was like, you know, this is what I'm committed to doing for my child. So you guys are just going to have to get on board or get out, you know, like. It's just the way it is. Honestly, that kudos to you too, because I remember vividly with my first when I would like we'd be out with you know my daughter and she'd have to to breastfeed or she'd have to nurse, and I would not want to do it in public. It was amazing to me what resistance I felt in my body. Like I didn't want to do it around people because I felt whether it was true or not, I felt that it was awkward. It was uncomfortable. It was just like, oh, you have to hide yourself. And so I would literally go to the car. I'd go places, you know, away from wherever we were. And, um, you know, and certainly no one asked me to do that, but it was just kind of like, I don't know. I just felt like it was assumed. I felt like, you know, no one else was breastfeeding anywhere in sight. And, I, and so I think that's, that shows incredible strength of character that you did that. And especially in a work environment where you have to have that kind of professional, you know, persona, like you're not in mom mode. It's really, that's, yeah. I think that's incredible. Right. Well, I mean, yeah, that, that like duality of like 
I know you as this business person, but you're also a brand new mom. But I think, I think also it's very different to pump under a cover than Mm -hmm. it is to feed an actual child under a cover. Because I had some of those same feelings about feeding my children in in public. Um, And it's not just, you know, like your apprehension about like, making other people uncomfortable. It's like, you see all of these news stories about people getting in women's faces about how it's, you know, they're sexualizing it or whatever. And it's like, I think you're missing, you're missing the memo here. Mm -hmm. And not only that, but kids are also unpredictable. And when you get into the squirmy wormy ages where they can flip up your cover or, I mean, Lord knows that is not to play with the other nipple. You know, they're just like, they, they're not satisfied with just one. They need both sides at the same that time. Is, You're like, <laughs> I'm like, listen, we're not doing this. Okay. I have my boundaries. Mm-hmm. I'm telling my four month old, I have boundaries child. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's like the unpredictability of nursing an actual live child while you're in conversation with somebody like that would have thrown me over the, you know, I would never have come back from that maybe, but, but pumping (laughs) is different because it's like, you know, mechanical, you can, you can actually function. It's not the same release of hormones and and all of that. It's not the same experience. It's, you're not missing the connection when you're pumping. It's just like something you need to do because your child isn't with you. Right. To keep your supply, to keep the everything. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. So what, um, and I think you kind of touched on this a little bit, but I'd like to dive in a little deeper about what were you feeling? What were you, I mean, like hearing or seeing uh, around you as far as like um, surrounding physically healing after childbirth? Like what were the messages you felt like you were getting from your um, network, right? Yeah, so my, you know, my friends and my family were always, the most supportive. I have the best village there is out there. Um, so there was never anything coming from them that was judgy or, um, no, no, um, unspoken expectation that I was, you know, going to click back. My husband never would ever say anything or do anything to make me feel that way. In fact, he always went the other direction and, and just said, you know, I love you for who you are. You're beautiful. You know, all of these things, like no matter what size I was or how crummy I was feeling about myself. But I think, you know, when you look at media, when you look at, um, oh gosh, celebrity culture, Mm. when when you look at professional culture, like I was saying, you know, there are a lot of unspoken expectations there. Like, um, you know, Hey, you need to get back to putting in all of your hours. Hey, you need to get back to full time. Hey, you need to, you know, you need to be flexible. You need to be available. Like you were before you had your child. It was more those types of things that I was feeling versus physical types of things. I don't really, you know, I don't really care too much what celebrities do and what other people say about my body. Like I, I can't control that. And I, mm-hmm. I don't care to, mm-hmm. so it wasn't as much about me feeling like I was letting anyone down or unable to bounce back so much as it was me feeling the struggle to like regain performance, you yeah. know, like, like reachieve my aptitude because once you have kids, when you're breastfeeding all night and when you're up with sick babies and you know, when you're doing all that, like your mental capacity is not at a hundred percent. And I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know when it gets back to that. I'll, I'll let you know when I get there, my old point, <laughs> um, but you know, it's just like, I, I don't know. I don't know how people can expect a woman to not be different, not be transformed Yes. by the experience of becoming a mother and all that is implied with caring for the baby, especially when a mother is working full time, choosing to breastfeed, you know, like it's hard. It's mm-hmm. hard enough just to go through that transformation and then to feel all of this unspoken expectation on your shoulders yes. when you're already wondering, like, am I a good mother? Am I making the right choice? is this the right path for our family? You don't need all of that extra noise, right? but it's always there. 
it's always yeah. there. So for me, it was much more professional versus physical. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I definitely feel that too. I feel like there's the societal, um, like pressure, right? That, so you have your baby and it's like, okay, get back to, get back to life as you know it, you know, get them on board, get them into your routine and you don't need to slow down for them. And it's like, you have a whole other life that you were thinking about. Like, I mean, and so in the background, the amount of mental work, I think that um, women typically do is, is great. And then when you add another baby, it's like you see them. And even if they appear to be on at work, they're thinking, oh my gosh, my child was screaming as I was leaving this morning. You know, they're in a leap. And even if they're not sick, they really just didn't want you to leave. And they wanted to nurse more. And you're just feeling badly having to like separate and pull away. And it's just, there's this constant like other demand for your attention, even when they're not there. And it just, it, I feel like it never ends. <laughs> so I mean, it really does not honor that. Like we don't talk about it. We don't. So you're like a person who's constantly split. And, and so that ended up being too great of a burden for me to bear. And Mm -hmm. so I broke with my work, which I had been working since I was 15 nonstop. And, you know, so this was like my, I was a career woman. I waited until later to have children. Like the, the age that my mom was when she had me and I was her youngest, is the age that I had my first child. Me too. Three. Yeah. yeah of three. So, you know, it's like, it's, it's interesting how those generational patterns start to shift, yeah. but um, yeah, it, it just was too much for me to bear. Something had to go, something right. had to change. And it was not going to be my, my children. I was not going to take on less time of being with my children. Yeah. It was, like, okay, what can, what can I live with? Well, I can live with a transition to staying home, which was one of the hardest things I've ever done. Because like I said, I've been working since I was 15 years old. And so sacrificing that was a huge adjustment period, but it was still the right choice because I don't have all of these ridiculous expectations being put on my mothering or my performance as a parent or my womanness or whatever it is. I don't have all of that being put on me anymore because I am here and I am in my village and I have wonderful support and I choose those village participants very selectively mm-hmm. and and the people who are in are all the way in. And that is a supportive system where women can succeed. But if you don't really have that, I honestly don't know how women do it. I really don't know how you do it without a village. I can tell you that I am not a person who is built to be able to do it on my own. I'm just not. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. I have a capacity and my capacity is that I can handle this much before I need to bring in, you know, the Calvary. And so I do. And, and I'm okay with that. I know who I am and I know what my limits are. And thank God I have a Calvary to call. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that is something to be grateful for, for sure. Yes. Um, yeah. So talking about, you know, that kind of um, identity shift and that, that split, I, you know, from like the working mom or working woman to the, the you know, stay-at-home mom is, was a huge, difficult decision for you. Um, but you had another huge, difficult decision that you made or, ha- you know, ended up making. Um, and I'd like to start talking about that. Like um, how, what, you know, we're t- talking about um, how you felt in your body um, after having your third baby. So let's go into kind of what you felt and um, what you felt and even what you did, like what you started trying to do in, in healing and, and, and all that. Okay. So I had really, I got, I sought out help for diastasis recti. I kind of figured out what it was after I had my second child and it, I would describe it as mild. Okay. So I had coning on my belly. I had um, urinary incontinence that was associated with exercise, like specific exercise moves and also sneezing, coughing, you know, like surprise when you're not ready for it. Boom. There, there it went. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Got to go change guys. See you later. Um, <laughs> 
I mean, you know, it's just the way it is for a while. Yeah, right. So anyway, um, so I went to my midwife and I got a referral to a PT, a pelvic floor physical therapist. And um, I went and started that journey, which, you know, I didn't know what to expect, but I have to tell you, it was fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) I had a great experience. Um, And it actually ended up not only helping me with my urinary incontinence and also closing my gap, but it also helped me in other areas where I didn't even realize that I was having problems. It was like a, a whole new understanding of my body and how I control my body and what my body is naturally doing and how I can combat the things that are not healthy for me and all of this wonderful information. So after doing that for a a good while, um, I was able to close my gap to where, you know, they consider it to be completely closed because, you know, there's like a natural separation of like an inch. I think they say you can certainly correct me if I'm wrong, but there's like a natural separation where you don't necessarily close it all the way. Right. I was, I was able to get there and was able to just like blast into my workouts, which I love to work out. I love to lift. I love to do mixed martial arts. It's just, I love it. So I was able to get really into that stuff. And I was super, super healthy and super, super fit and super, super, just everything was tight and popping and wonderful. And then I was having trouble getting pregnant again. And we knew we wanted to have one more child. And so my my OBGYN at the time was telling me, you've got to back off of these high intensity workouts and give your body a little bit of rest. And so I did, and um, we got pregnant again. And from almost from the onset of that pregnancy, I was in immediate daily pain. My sacrum would not stay in its place. I have notoriously flexible um, bones. My bones adjust themselves all the time. And so I see a chiropractor um, weekly because I can't hold an adjustment for like longer than a week. Sometimes I don't even hold it for the whole week. Mm -hmm. And so I I was in that practice anyway. And so she was helping me with my sacrum. It just would, it would just get so crazy. It would slide and tilt and turn. And I ended up having to wear a sacral brace and I would wear that 23 hours a day because I was in pain if I wasn't wearing it. And so I would, yeah, I would take it off just for an hour to give my body a little break, but I would even sleep in it. Sometimes I was in constant pain when I was moving, walking, Um, my tummy just felt completely stretched out again. And it was like, it reopened up, but instead of a reversal of all of the healing I had done, it was actually worse. Mm. I I now had daily back pain. I now had daily sacral pain. I now had belly pain. Um, And I carried my third, the smallest. And when I say the smallest, I still mean eight pounds, six and a half ounces, but Hey, that was my and that's incredible because you went from like 10 to nine and a half to eight. Like it yeah. usually is the opposite. Usually we see yeah. like the first is the smallest and they kind of can just get, get bigger. So like you even went the opposite direction and it was like exponentially more painful. So, oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah. It was like, she was my smallest baby and she was by far my most painful pregnancy. Yeah. And, um, so I was just having all sorts of problems. So I thought, okay, well maybe after I have the baby, you know, the sacral pain will resolve, the back pain will resolve. Maybe this is all pregnancy related. It wasn't, it was all diastasis related. So my diastasis opened up again and everything was pain every single day. I went to the chiropractor. We tried all sorts of things. I had moved, I had relocated. So I ended up going to a different pelvic floor physical therapist who was also excellent and worked with her. I was not seeing the kind of improvement with the same type of therapy as I had after my second, Mm. after my second, my body responded. It was like, yes, let's do this. Let's heal. After my third, it was like, that's cute. (laughs) Like, Oh, you're, you're precious. No. (laughs) And so I was like, oh my gosh, it's not working anymore. It's not, my body isn't responding the same way. And I gave it such a, such a fair shot. I read books. I read, um, diastasis recti by Katie Bowman. Yeah. I highly recommend it's an amazing resource. I got hooked up with the Mutu program. Mm -hmm. 
which I have to say that I did half-heartedly because I had already done physical therapy once and then I was back in physical therapy. So I put more energy into my physical therapy exercises than I did into going through the MUTU program. So I don't feel like I can give that a fair review because I really didn't give it a chance. And really um, physical therapy, I mean, that's like, it's tailored for you. So if you had yeah. only so many hours in the day with three kids, I mean, I think that yeah, was- exactly. It was like, and my, and my third baby just didn't sleep. So it was like impossible to, to feel like I could do anything for myself. Um, but anyway, you know, it just, it wasn't, it wasn't happening. It wasn't coming back. I wasn't getting any stronger. My incontinence was not improving. Um, I was still in pain all the time. This is with weekly chiropractic plus weekly um, pelvic floor therapy. And I just got to the point where, you know, I was in this Facebook group for women with diastasis recti, and it was like a support group where people can come and share about all of the pain that they have, or, you know, you know, what do I do? I've got this umbilical hernia. A lot of women get umbilical hernias. I did not, thankfully. And, you know, like uh, just airing it all out. It's very frustrating to have this kind of an injury. It impacts every aspect of your life. Like you can't even lift your kids over your head. You can't run around outside and play with them without wetting yourself. You know, you just can't be the mom you want to be. And that was where the real rub was for me because I thought this is not what I imagined. I was able to be a, a more of a me mom Mm-hmm. with my first child and my second child. And then with my third, I feel like I can't do anything without feeling pain or leaking. Mm-hmm. And I just started to feel like it is not worth it to live the rest of these years this way. Yeah. And I started to kind of take the long view into focus and say, okay, if I feel like this now, I, and I watch my mom with her grandkids, my kids, and I watch her interacting with them and playing with them and and having fun. And I thought to myself, if I am in pain now, and if I can't even lift my own kids as a 30 something year old who should be able to swing her kids around and climb with them on the playground, if I can't do that now, how am I going to be able to be the grandmother that I want to be? How am I going to be able to pull a child up into my lap and read stories? How am I going to be able to help my, my daughter or my sons with their kids when they need it, when they are calling on their village? Yeah. How can I experience life the way that I know I need to feel it yeah. if I am in constant pain? Yeah. And so that's when I got curious about the surgery group which was mentioned on and off throughout the the diastasis um, support group. And I finally asked to be moved into that group. Mm -hmm. And I was like, uh, I was like a voyeur for like a year, a year, maybe a year and a half. And I just read people's posts. And I went in with these preconceived notions. These women are vain. These women just want a flat body. They want to wear crop tops and feel good about them. Like that's how they feel good about themselves. It's all about appearance. And I'm thinking I could not care less about my appearance. I mean, you can tell I did not change out of my workout clothes from today. So <laughs> only the best for me. <laughs> you know, like this is who I am, right? So like I I couldn't care less what somebody else thinks about how I look because they don't live in this skin. They don't know what this feels right. like. They don't know what I'm dealing with. They don't know my story. They don't know where I've been. Yep. And they don't know the journey that I w- I've been on since I was a young girl to love the skin that I'm in. Mm-hmm. And it's a hard journey for girls because yeah. we're, we're sent all of these impossible messages. So, you know, I just, I thought, oh gosh, these women are all just going to be this preconceived notion that I have. And I got in there and all I saw time after time. I mean, sure. There was like one or two cases where it was a woman who just really wanted her pre baby body back. Mm. And that's fine too. Right. If that's something that somebody wants, that's fine too. I don't know why I went in with such judgment. It was probably fear of being judged, like fear of these things being said about me. Totally. If I decided to do it. And so I was projecting onto these women. 
Mm-hmm. And only, only you can decide what's good for you. Only you can decide what is right for you. Only you can decide what you want to justify the investment of. Um, but I went in there thinking these women were going to be a certain way. And nine times out of 10, these were women who all missed their CrossFit. They missed being active. They missed going running marathons. They missed doing all of these incredibly active, strong, wonderful things with their families or just activities they were passionate about. It was my same story just told in 50,000 different ways. Right. And the judgment started to fall away. Those preconceived notions, those projections started to fall away. And I started to realize that doing this for myself now was an investment in a happy future. Yes. 30 years down the road. And so I started to think about it more seriously. And that went on for months and months before I even talked to my husband about it because I thought, oh my gosh, I've been looking up prices. These things are insane. Insurance doesn't cover a thing Mm. unless you've got an umbilical hernia, uh, which, you know, that portion can sometimes be covered by insurance, but the actual diastasis repair is not. And so I looked into like mini tummy tuck and laparoscopic repair and mesh or no mesh or full tummy tuck or whatever. Anyway, fast forward all the, cause I'm a researcher. So fast forward all of this research, talk to my husband about it. And he said, you need to do whatever you need to do to regain the, the functionality that you want for the rest of your life. Yes. Because the longer we wait, you know, the harder it is to recover, yep. the older you are when you have surgery, technically, or typically the harder it is to recover. And I thought, you know, I'm not getting any younger. So we started talking more seriously about it and decided that it was the option that we wanted to go with. And so that's, that's the time at which I started folding people in and letting people know this is what I'm wanting to do. Yeah. And, you know, interviewing surgeons and, you know, going through the whole process before getting set up for surgery. But I really had a a total mind frame shift about cosmetic surgery in general. I mean, the fact that a diastasis repair is considered cosmetic is laughable. Yes. Um, The fact that pelvic floor physical therapy is not considered routine postpartum care is laughable. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I will forever be an advocate for it. I tell every person that I meet who mentions anything remotely near to needing pelvic floor physical therapy that I did it and it changed my life. Yeah. Um, Oh my gosh. I'm like a poster child for it. Um, (laughs) An advocate that people need. I mean, I'm glad. I mean, yeah. And normalizing it is so important too. Like, especially like I'll see women comment a lot and they'll say something like, Oh yeah. You know, I, I leak sometimes it's totally normal. Mm. And I say, and I always, I pop right on there and I say, it's common. It's not normal. Your pelvic floor needs help Mm -hmm. Uh, because people don't understand that just because something's common doesn't mean that it's normal functioning of your body. That's the big distinction. Right. Um, but anyway, I've, I've run away train here. So you, no, that's okay. No, that's good. Good. Yeah. This is, it's gold. I I love that people can get this view into how much thought process, like in, in, you know, went behind your decision and how much research and, and how heavily just weighed on your mind that you weren't just like, okay, let's, you know, let's just make this decision lightly. Let's just, you know, fork out the money and, and get a flat tummy. It it wasn't about aesthetics for you. It was about functionality. And, and that is near and dear to my heart. I know, you know, that, you know, we believe so much in prevention and doing things now. So if, if you can prevent issues from arising, fine, but if you can prevent them from getting worse, and in your case, it most, I mean, it already wasn't livable at that, you know? So, I mean, you, you, I absolutely know that you made the right choice. Um, but you know, doing it now even was so was preventative, you know, if you waited and you, you know, maybe didn't take to the surgery as well, or you just waited too long, you didn't have the same surgical outcome, you know, I mean, why why wait? So I'm absolutely, um, 
absolutely so so happy with that so so you're gonna say that yeah yeah okay so I wanted to clarify um I talked about evaluating laparoscopic options and mini tummy tuck options and full tummy tuck options or a full abdominoplasty. And what I ended up choosing was the full abdominoplasty because that repair is done from the sternum to the pubic bone. And what I had known from working with PTs and, you know, even just kind of exploring on my own, as I was trying to see if I had healed was that my diastasis did cover the entire length. And so I knew that a mini tummy tuck would not happen. And I did not actually find locally to me, I did not actually find um, laparoscopic options. It was just not a popular offering. Mm. So I ended up choosing the full abdominoplasty and, um, and looking back, I think that was absolutely the, the best, the best thing. Um, And that was almost a year ago now. Yeah, great. So let's discuss. I'd love for you to share with our listeners, like, you know, how did you feel recovery went? Like what, you know, I know you're still healing, but like kind of a general timeline, what what people could expect if they made this choice or what you experienced. So it depends on which doctor you end up choosing. Some doctors allow you to stay overnight for your mm-hmm. first night after surgery, and some it's an outpatient procedure. Um, and they don't even offer, you know, overnight care. I elected to do overnight care, given that I have three small children at home. Um, my husband was already handling the kids. I felt like this is really unfair of an ask, you know, like we both need to be completely at peace about my care and not worried about, am I in pain? What if something goes wrong? Which funny side story, I did stay overnight. I had the best nurses. They were amazing. And they, you know, they, sh- change them out. I got up and walked. Um, they said it was up to me. And I was like, um, everything that I've read says you need to get up and walk. So I'm going to get up and walk. Yeah. So I did. And it was very slow and precious. I probably looked like a little granny. I I still did it. And, um, what was really funny about it was I had been working out like almost every day of the entire year to prepare for it. I had my surgery in June. So we're talking about like nearly six full months of working out nearly every day. I did hurt my ankle once, but other than that, it was like every day. And so the nurses came in and it was like one time in the middle of the night when I was actually asleep and they came in to check on me. And the nurse was like, Michelle, are you, do you exercise a lot? And I said, yes I'm like waking up in a fog and I was like yes and she was like your resting heart rate is 40 beats per minute and I am really I would be really worried if you were not like a super healthy person (laughs) like is she dying is she dead she was like she was like your resting heart rate is like low enough to make me really uncomfortable but if I know that you exercise all the time I'm just gonna attribute it to you being very athletic yeah. And I was like, okay, okay. Everything's fine. Yes. So that was really funny. <laughs> Yay. That's good. Yeah, it was, it was, but anyway, um, <clears throat> all right, help me get back on track here. So, okay. uh, recovery, like what you can expect like stayed overnight. Yep. Right. So I stayed overnight. I highly recommend it. I think that would be the way to go if that's an option for you. Um, I felt like recovery was better than I expected. And I had in my mind, it was like, prepare for the worst, hope for the best. So I had prepared myself. I had a really, really difficult time healing from my C-section. And I saw all of this stuff about women just like bouncing back. They're up and they're walking around and they're carrying their baby. And and, and I'm like, y'all are nuts. Like they just cut something out of me. What is wrong with you? It was more like what was wrong with me. I felt like my body was like broken. I mean, I had a horrible time healing from my C-section. So I thought this is going to be times a thousand. Yeah. So I had been mentally preparing myself for months. This is going to be hard. I can do hard things. I'm prepared for this. This is what I want. The end goal is worth the cost of this temporary discomfort and pain. And so um, I there were a couple of things that I really recommend. No stool softeners. Mm. No, no. Take natural whole food fiber. 
There are natural whole food fiber supplements that you can get that are organic, that are on Amazon. They're wonderful. And so I highly recommend that. I highly recommend bone broth to help Mm -hmm. your fascia heal all that inflammation. Mm -hmm. Um, Stay on top of your meds until you feel like you can back off. So I was off of narcotics by day three. Mm -hmm. I also on them. You were on the schedule before that, right? I was on the schedule before them and before that, and I, I followed it. So I had my surgery on a Thursday. So I had regular stuff Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and I was off on Sunday and I, and I was taking ibuprofen occasionally. And that's different for every woman. I'm not trying to be a superhero about it. It's just that I think I was taking such good care of my body Mm -hmm. that my body was able to take care of me. Um, And I was also able to have a bowel movement on, I think, day two or three after surgery. Now, after I had my C-section, and that was back when I was just kind of like, you know, at the whim of all of the medication that they were shoving in my face. This was before I was living a more natural life. Um, I was able to have a bowel movement after my C-section on like day five or six. Oh, Um, it was awful. It was horrible. Huh. And my first one was like super easy and it was great. great. The other thing was um, get as healthy and as strong as you can before your surgery, because it will help you recover. Yes. Um, so I was so strong in my arms and my legs from the lifting that I could do that I did not need help sitting down on the toilet or getting up. I did not need any help at all. Good. It was fantastic. I felt so strong. I was so proud of myself. I told my mom one, one day she was taking care of me so that my husband could focus on the kids. Um, she was taking care of me. And I, I said, mom, I am crushing this recovery. <laughs> and she laughed at me and she was like, uh, yeah, you are. Um, That's awesome. But I used a walker. Uh, not everybody wants to, not everybody needs to. I was in back pain. I had back pain for years leading up to this. Um, so I knew that my back was already so, so weak. I elected to do a walker knowing that I was already predisposed to having a harder time getting upright. And I had no shame in my game. Mm -hmm. I was grannying down the street like a pro (laughs) and I was waving to my neighbors. Hey, how you doing? I mean, I, I felt fine about it because it's what I needed. So absolutely, it was was great. So I was, um, I was taking little strolls around the cul-de-sac um after I think I, I had two drains I got the drains out on day five okay um the drain stuff was I was glad to have drains they offer drainless I think drain having drains was the right thing for me mm-hmm. um and I think like day six I was doing s- like slow laps around the cul-de-sac mm-hmm And then I had, I had this Apple watch challenge. They give you like an activity challenge every month. And of course I didn't get mine for June because I had my surgery in the middle of June, but my, my Apple watch challenge for that July was a challenge to walk a certain number of miles. And I crushed that challenge. (laughs) I mean, it was crazy. I'm going to go back and pull it up because it was, it was literally insane. Okay. I was supposed to walk. I think I was supposed to walk like 81 miles or something. And I walked 83 and a half miles in July. So that was like, July was two weeks after my surgery. Right. So I was, I was moving as much as I could, as often as I could. I was doing what felt right. I slept inclined for a little bit and then slowly got down, slowly got more vertical. Um, I felt like my recovery was a gift. I mean, I really expected it to be a lot worse and I did super, super well. I called on my village and had a meal train for the um, two weeks after I got home. Mm -hmm. And so they were able to bless my family in that way, which was really helpful. And I have to tell you, it's a little awkward. Normally, like you do a meal train when somebody has a baby or if somebody's like lost a parent or whatever. I was like, Hey, I'm having cosmetic surgery. Can you bring me food? Yeah. If you're talking about like really like shamelessly knowing what you need and being an advocate for yourself, I, I literally was like, 
I'm having this surgery to repair my core and I need help preparing food for my kids. Yeah. And they showed up and we had, we had a meal train for like two weeks and it was oh. great. It was so helpful. Yeah. And, um, yeah, recovery went a lot better now in terms of like where I am now, cause I'm 11 months post-op now I still have swelling, which is totally normal. Mm-hmm. I still have a little bit of swelling, you know, by the end of the night, I'm a little swollen. Um, I don't have pain. Um, you know, there's all sorts of phases of recovery where you have like your nerves are waking up and you get like these lightning bolts of pain where your nerves are coming alive again. Um, and you know, the initial pain of course is, you know, substantial, but I, I totally felt like it was worth it. Yeah. Um, it wasn't enough to keep me from sleeping or anything like that. And then now I'm, I'm getting back to being active more regularly. So I took a few months off. I tried to get back to regular exercise in January and I felt like it was too much for my body to be working out daily. Mm. And it's really hard for me because mentally I'm an all or nothing person. So if I say I'm going to work out, I'm going to work out every day, Yeah. you know, maybe take one day off a week. If I say that I'm going to go hardcore on nutrition, then I'm going to go hardcore on nutrition. I don't care if somebody has a birthday, I'm not breaking my, you know, my pact with myself. Mm -hmm. So it's been a new experience of learning how to give myself grace, learning how to say, you know, do as much as you can when you're feeling good, back off when you're not feeling good. And it's not that I've had pain or any type of like really bad response to exercise. It's more that I'm, I'm just staying curious about the, the stretches that I feel, the sensations that I feel the skin on, on the very center of my stomach is still numb Mm -hmm. and it's starting to come back. So in some ways I feel like I can't feel my abs engage, even though they are, it's like, I know how to do it. It's muscle memory, but I still look at myself in the mirror when I'm doing these exercises to make sure that I'm actually engaged Mm -hmm. so that I'm protecting myself. Um, so it's more that kind of caution, you know, hesitancy, making sure that I'm taking care of this investment that I've made. Um, and I'm getting back into, you know, a more, the more active lifestyle that I've really, really missed. And I've just had to be much more patient. And I feel like some of the women that I've seen some of their journeys, because they're also different, um, some of them were able to like, get back to lifting and doing CrossFit at like 12 weeks or something like that. I mean, I was cleared for exercise early, like at eight weeks and I just kept walking and I just kept walking. And then when I tried to do a workout, I just kind of felt it and Mm. I would, and I would take days off and I would just kind of feel it. And I would wait for my body to tell me, is it too soon? Is this the right type of exercise? Do you, do you need something else? There's a lot of intuition. I feel like following this surgery, like relearning your body. So diastasis can, I think it, the case that Katie Bowman argues, if I'm remembering correctly, is that it's not like a pregnancy isn't the catalyst for the diastasis to occur. You have, you're predisposed to it because of postural things and all sorts of ways that you've carried your body patterns that you've carried your body wearing heels and pushing your pelvis forward and your rib cage is bucking out like a bell and you know, there's all sorts of things that play into you ending up with diastasis. Well, that's the way I've moved my body my entire life. Right. So now I'm like, okay, I'm not sure what feels right because what feels normal to me isn't correct. Right. So, so there's a lot of re-education, you know, trying to learn how can I move my body better to mm-hmm. honor the repair and also move forward in my healing. Yeah. So anyway, the recovery overall was much better than I anticipated. And I'm very, very grateful for that. And you didn't mention it, but I assume is the incontinence better too? Is that shown up at all? The incontinence is better. Um, I do still, it's only with certain exercises that I feel it. And so I have been, I had been working with a PT and I got released for home duty. And so I've kind of been working on my own. Mm-hmm. And it does continue to improve, but I will tell you that after having surgery, I went back to, um, I think at eight weeks or nine weeks, I went back to my pelvic floor PT and 
the, the feedback that she gave me about my core control, my pelvic floor control, my ability to release and contract, um, my stability, my balance, my movements, my rotations, everything was so far improved just after surgery. Yeah. It was unbelievable how far I had come. Only the only change I made was having surgery. Right. And doing and, all the walking. That was it. Like, well, well, right. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, like, it's like it pulled my body back into where it needed to be. And I was able to progress beyond, like, in several weeks, I was able to progress far beyond what we had been doing before surgery because gotcha. I was so, I was so much more in line. Mm hmm. And, and it had improved so much. And that's why I got released for home duty. I mean, I had never been released for home duty before. So, yeah. So it was a, it was a world of, of a difference. That's awesome. Is there anything that you think, or, you know, you wish you had done differently? Um, you know, I'm not sure that I could have done anything differently because when you're taking on something like this, you have to consider, you know, what season is my family in? Mm -hmm. And are we in the place to make this kind of investment? Can my husband take this time off from work? Do I have someone who can help care for me that first week? Um, you know, do I have people to call on in my village to help? Um, that's not always the, it's not always the right moment. It's not, you're not always financially prepared for something like this. You're not always, you know, ready to take all of that time off. You're not always ready to be apart from your children. So one of the reasons why I waited so long to even look into surgery was because my youngest was still breastfeeding and she breastfed until just over two and a half years. And so I knew I was not going to jeopardize that relationship. And so I, I thought about it and I was like, you know, I'm thinking about this for the future, but I will not do this while she still needs me. And so after that is when I started putting feelers out, researching, asking around. And then I think it was about um, six months after she stopped breastfeeding that I started booking consults. Mm -hmm. And then it was only a few months after that, that I had it scheduled and, you know, went through with it and felt completely at peace about it because I had done it on my terms in a season of life where it was right for our family without putting ourselves at, you know, financial risk. Um, cause we planned for it and, you know, made some decisions. And so it ended up being the right time. So I'm not really sure that I could have done anything differently. And everyone's journey leading up to this question is so different. So Absolutely. it's really such an individual, you know, consideration. Absolutely. Um, I, I am so thank you for your time and, you know, sharing your experience. I would just like to ask if there's any like advice you'd like to offer or anything else you'd like to add for our listeners. Yeah, sure. So um, a couple of things. I think the first thing that I would tell anyone who's thinking about this is understand that your future is worth it. You're worth it right now in this moment. You're worth it in the future. And if you think that you would get 20 years down the road and feel regret that you had not taken this investment for yourself, then you need to really scrutinize that decision again. Is that the right no? Or should it be a yes, but not right now? You know, the, the thing about it is as women, we're given all of this messaging that your whole existence is to sacrifice yourself for something else. Yes. You sacrifice your family life for your work. You sacrifice your work for your family life. You sacrifice your body for your kids. You sacrifice your dreams for keeping up the house. You are here to serve the masses. Mm -hmm. You're here to serve the world with your womanhood. And that is just not true. Yeah. You can absolutely choose to serve this world in whatever way you feel like you can in whatever gifting you have in whatever way you want to serve your family your husband your wife your whoever but that's not who you are that's not your value in this world and you have to realize that you are enough and you are worthy of 
taking a risk and taking this investment and investing in your future and you're worth being happy. You're worth being functional. You're worth being someone who your own care of yourself matters. Yeah. That's the first thing. And you feel good in your body, in your skin, you know, it matters how you feel. And if you think you're functional or not, you know, I love it. I love it. Yeah. So that's the first thing that I would say. That's the biggest takeaway. The second thing is if you do decide that you are interested in pursuing this route, I would, I would definitely recommend that you do lots of research, ask all the questions. Um, I find a lot of times I'm frustrated with people in my life who never ask questions. I'm a very inquisitive person, so I don't know any other way to be. I'm very curious. So I think, you know, I worked with Amanda and I think you can remember (laughs) that I asked a million questions. Which I'm that person too. Like that's, you're my people. So I I, I love that. I was like, Ooh, you want more detail? I will talk all day. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, so tell me, I don't understand. Like, how does this impact that? Or like, why does this therapy have an effect on this? And, you know, like, I just want to know, I want to know the ins and outs. I want to understand the mechanics of it as best as I can. And I think in order to be the best advocate for yourself, you have to ask a lot of questions. Because if you go into the process with hesitancy or fear, that is going to spill over into your recovery. And that might even spill over into your surgical experience. So I would recommend that you put a lot of feelers out there and book more consults than you think you need. I can't remember if I did five or six consults, but um, you know it was COVID. So it was like some consults wanted to be virtual. And I was like, you can't virtually see what I'm dealing with. So we're not doing that. So, you know, you know, you have your own standards for your, for your care, Mm -hmm. be an advocate for your own care. So get the answers you want. If somebody can't look you in the, in the eye, maybe that's not the person for you. Yeah. And maybe you want somebody who's really mechanical and who looks at you like, uh, like a schematic and they can just piece you together and they're precise and they're targeted and they're not, maybe they're not warm, but they are certainly highly skilled and very capable. Maybe you need somebody who doesn't talk too much about all of the specifics of the surgery, but they have a really warm bedside manner. Maybe you're the person like me who has a million questions and you just want to be heard and answered competently. And that boosts your confidence in somebody. So whatever kind of person you are, be your advocate for your care, ask the questions and your intuition will speak up when you are with the person who you can trust and entrust your care to. And so book lots of consults, get a lot of experience out there and, um, and just be relentless in your advocacy for yourself. Yeah. That's incredible, Michelle. You are incredible. And I, I so honor and thank you for, you know, what you've been through, what sharing it with us. I mean, you've just given so much advice and so many good nuggets of, of wisdom. And I, I really, really can't thank you enough. I know as a pelvic PT or really PT in general, a lot of times we talk about avoiding surgery, avoiding surgery. And, and so I really am so grateful that you came on with me today to kind of just give this other side of things. Like sometimes surgery is necessary and it's not the devil and it's not something to be ashamed of. Like you said, I just love your message of, you know, you are worth it. Everyone is worth it. Um, do this for yourself, at, you know, now when, when the time is right for you. And I just, I can't thank you enough. Thank you. Thank you. Yay. <laughs> Take care. <laughs> Take care, guys. If you have any questions um, for us or for Michelle, I can pass them along to her. But hello at kumbayalpodcast.com. You can email me there. And uh, I look forward to seeing you next time. Take care. Do you ever wish that you could learn the essentials of pelvic health from an experienced pelvic floor physical therapist at a fraction of the cost and from the comfort of your own home? This episode is sponsored by Progressive Pelvic Education, your source for online courses to expand your pelvic health knowledge and promote optimal wellness. Pelvic health is wealth. 
And there is a lot of essential information about our pelvic floor that isn't taught in school. Learn what to do and not to do to avoid the inconvenience and pain of pelvic floor issues in a self-paced course you can take anywhere. Visit courses.progressivepelviceducation.com to get access today. This content is for educational purposes only and is not intended to be medical advice. Please discuss any questions you may have regarding your health or medical condition with your physician or a qualified healthcare professional. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests.